Welcome to In a Prosecco, the podcast that raises a glass to moms who are transitioning from empty nester into the next beautiful phase of life as a free bird. I'm your host, Bernie Slowey. I'm a mother of two sons who have grown and flown, and I'm also a former corporate executive, filmmaker, writer, speaker, and entrepreneur who has helped women transfer into their authentic selves to uncork their infinite sparkling possibilities. So whether you're sipping a Prosecco or your favorite beverage of choice, join me as we pop open today's message in a bottle. Hello and welcome to In a Prosecco. I've got my bottle ready here to pour to see what the message in the bottle is today and what the truth serum is gonna bring out. Well, let me tell you, I really contemplated about today's episode because it's something that uh, is near and dear to me and it's about finding yourself. I'll start with a little bit of my story and my background. I was born in Saigon during the Vietnam War in 1971. And my mother was this Vietnamese woman, beautiful Vietnamese woman who fell in love with an American GI, very handsome American GI. They fell in love, had me. My mother had told me that she had a dream the night before. Uh, she started to have contractions and I was coming in that she dreamt that she was at a waterfall and that she'd picked a pink lotus. And the pink lotus told her that she was having a girl. And sure enough, I pop out and for the first four years of my life, I thought I was the only child. And actually, longer than that, uh, because when my mother and I evacuated from Saigon, just days before it fell, we flew through Guam to San Francisco to Nebraska to meet up with my father. And nine months later, I have a little sister. So growing up in Nebraska was not easy. The Vietnam War and everything revolving around the negative aspects of it, even with the way that the vets were treating, treated, that it wasn't an easy place to grow up. I experienced a lot of bigotry and prejudices. So my father decided he wanted to go to Iran, to Iran, to work for Bell Helicopter with a lot of his buddies that had worked um, with Bell Helicopter. So a lot of the expats uh, from Vietnam War, went to Iran, and we were there just as the anti-Shah revolution was starting. So it was a tumultuous time there. And as a result, we had to evacuate. So I am not even eight years old, and I've evacuated two war-torn countries. So very stressful on my parents. And it's myself and my little sister and we moved back to the United States having to start completely over because when we evacuated from Iran, this was just before the start of the hostage crisis. So the 444 days with the yellow ribbon around the oak, tr oak tree, if you remember this, that when we came back to the United States, 
because you know, I'm a mix. I'm Amerasian, which was the name given to um, children during the war that were born in the war of an American soldier and a Vietnamese woman. So when I came back to the United States and would go to school, I didn't know this, but apparently they assumed that moving from Iran, I was Persian and even thought that I was a terrorist. I'd come from a terrorist family. And, you know, it just goes to show as far as the cultural and societal judgments that can be very harmful to others. Uh, the nature of it, though, was that, you know, it made me stronger for sure. And, but I didn't know who I was because I wanted so badly to assimilate into the American culture and to learn English so that it was absolutely perfect. And I just wanted to fit in. So in elementary school, I had a wonderful teacher named Mr. Kentel. And I don't know if he's still teaching, but I, I, I want to really reach out to him because he had made such an impact in a moment that gave me a sense of validity. And we were talking about presidents. And I used to be fascinated with presidents because I would read all the biographies at school. And I thought I could be the first woman president. Well, learning that you have to be born in the U.S. and the other parameter is that you have to be a U.S. citizen, at least um, born from U.S. citizens, if from another country. Well, my mother, um, being Vietnamese, I didn't qualify. But the moment I said that I wanted to be the first woman president and someone in the class said, no, you cannot be president. You were born here. And Mr. Tell said, it doesn't matter. I'd still vote for you. Toast to Mr. Tell. That moment for me was epic. I had someone that believed in me and actually said it out loud. I'd never heard anything like that from my parents. They had such a tumultuous relationship. I mean, they had a tumultuous relationship from day one. I mean, first of all, there it's war and they didn't have a trusting relationship. The way they met, it was not a trusting relationship. That's going to be in the book. <laughs> and I didn't really view or witness what it looked like to have a healthy, loving relationship. And really there was a lot of trauma that my parents were dealing with. So they just didn't understand how that was impacting me or even my little sister. My mother was definitely uh, someone who had so much trauma. And I think when she came to the United States, thought that this was going to be an opportunity for her to start over and leaving her home country and her family. Because the day that we arrived, it was the next morning when we saw on the news that Saigon had fallen and my mother had also fallen. She had fallen to her knees. And I never understood her anger or her sadness because right before we evacuated, there was a little girl that I was playing with. And from what I recall, it was very, <clears throat> very close to the time, right just before we evacuated. So I want to say it was around, what my mother has told me is that it was around two weeks before we evacuated where this little girl 
that was playing with us and I was playing with other kids went missing. And my aunt had been watching us. My mother's sister had been watching us. And when she had come downstairs from the apartment building that we, where we lived, and she was so angry because she looked at me asking me, like, where's this little girl? And I, I don't even know who or what had happened. But she looked at me and I carried that shame and the guilt from her blaming me for it. My mother and I never spoke about it. And neither did our father. We just never spoke about it as a family. And when I'd ask why my mother was crying over this little picture of a little girl, she said, it's your cousin. And I believed her because our aunt was watching us at the time. Still, so confused about what happened. But I carried that weight of something happened and it was my fault. And I felt my mother's pain without understanding what was happening. So fast forward, I get through (laughs) the elementary years and middle school. We moved to Colorado, which really was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I think for our family, because it was much more open for um, diversity. And when I arrived, there was a lot of curiosity. Well, who are you? Where are you from? And I didn't feel the same shame or embarrassment about being Vietnamese. And actually, there was a little bit of intrigue. And so it was a very different experience from growing up in Nebraska. So I love Colorado. I miss it. We've moved from Colorado uh, last year, but I love Colorado for everything it did to help me open up. So my first 10 years of life feeling like, I don't know who I am, where I'm going, what I'm doing, evacuating from two war-torn countries to then the next decade from, you know, 14 uh, into my fifties where it was being able to feel like I was slowly coming out of my shell. After I'd graduated high school, I worked as a teller and went to college um, at the same time. So I would go to my teller position in the morning and then take my classes in the afternoon. I did not go the traditional college route. Uh, I couldn't afford it. My family couldn't afford it. So I had a little bit of a scholarship and I worked the rest of my tuition off um, through work. And I found that being a teller was like, oh, I'm stuck behind <laughs> the traditional teller wall. Like, I really want to be out and about. So I worked really hard so that I could get promoted and quickly, actually, to sell through several positions. And I was in full-time positions as I was also going through college full-time. And that really was a great lesson in work ethic because I, I loved being able to get promoted quickly because it meant that I had more money to pay towards college and that I really wanted to move out of my house, of my family of origin house, because I wanted to go and explore. And I felt like because I was the oldest, I was always babysitting when I was younger and that my siblings are, you know, they're five years my junior. 
been eight years my junior and 15 years my junior. So when my little brother was born, people teased me that I was his mom. So I had babysat all those years that I couldn't wait to actually get on with my life. So 19, I move out and I move in uh, with roommates and I'm like having the time of my life because I feel like I'm actually able to learn more of who I am. And the part about college, I went to a commuter college, University of Colorado, Denver. And that's where I was going to school with professional students because they were in the same boat. They were also working or they were older and they were coming back to get their degree. And so going to class with older people and working around older people, I kind of just grew up fast, but I loved it. And so it was the time where I really felt that I had, you know, just crawled out of my shell, broken out of the cocoon. As a matter of fact, I actually got my only tattoo (laughs) on my ankle of a butterfly. And it was because I felt like I was actually taking flight, that I was able to be my true, authentic self, at least explore without all of the, the heaviness of not ever feeling that I was good enough or that I was worthy. And I think those are common feelings that many of us women end up having. You know, it's, and if you don't, God bless you because you're way ahead of the game and I applaud you with a toast. But I felt so inferior for many reasons. And a lot of it was just because I was born in a foreign country during war. And when I graduated from college and I double majored because it was this sense of like, I can't just get a degree because I'm not feeling worthy enough. I need to have a double degree when I graduate. And I can't just be in any position at the bank that I was working at. I really wanted to be in the position in the department of where I was getting my degree for marketing in the business school. So I had a marketing position, a dream job for me at that age. So that not only was I like already in my dream job as much as like, oh, I am around people who are older. At the time, I thought 25 was the ideal age. I'm 22, 23. I buy a condo because I think that's the most responsible thing to do so that I, you know, I'm going to create a career and a life that was very different from what I grew up with. And so this was all about being able to set measurements of my own personal success so that I would feel worthy. But it wasn't about oh, how do I feel about it myself? It was, well, what would others think of a 23-year-old having their own condo that they bought? By the way, I borrowed against my IRA because I started investing in it as soon as I was 19. So I had money to borrow against. And I thought, wow, that was great to be able to borrow against your IRA. Um, So you pay yourself back in the interest. 
and you're able to have a property that's going to appreciate. So when I went through all the, the steps I thought were like, this is the path I'm supposed to be on. And I thought I was going to go to grad school and then start a company and kick ass. <laughs> I'd get married at 30 and maybe have kids after that, depends, because I thought I was going to get my tubes tied when I turned 18. I'm glad I didn't. But I always had a five-year plan. So then when I turned 25, that magical, I think 25 is just magical. I was in the best shape of my life. I was confident because of where I'd landed in my career. I had my condo. And I meet my husband. And I am completely swept off my feet. This little cutie who I just completely changed my plans for no longer was grad school in the photo. I mean, I wanted to take after I graduated that summer, I was going to play and then go to like take my GMAT to go to business school and get my MBA. Nope. I ended up having an incredible summer with my now husband and decided, you know, I don't think I need to get that graduate degree of where I want to go to. So I actually stayed in Colorado. We ended up getting married. We got married in Cozumel, an amazing well wedding celebration where 60 of our friends who came in to help us <laughs> with the celebration, many of them celebrating with each other. <laughs> it was a wonderful destination wedding. And so I felt like this was the start of an incredible life. And then there were some bumps in the road, you know, like marriage isn't easy. It's not like a piece of cake. And I only had my parents' very dysfunctional relationship. From that perspective, I, I, I just didn't understand really what a healthy relationship was, but I wanted one. And at the same time, I wanted to also succeed on this path of like, I'm, I'm achiever, I'm an achiever, I have to continually achieve in order to have validity so that I could, so that I could be seen as someone who wasn't a mistake. Because from that time that I was blamed for a little girl missing, I had been looking and longing for validation. So after getting married, we have our first son, Nick. He uh, was, when he was born, I can tell that he was just someone who had a mission. And then our second one came 17 months later. Our first one was really difficult to get pregnant with. Our second one, Jack, he was on a dime. He was like, I am coming in right away. And I'm also going to arrive on my due date. And he's never been on time ever since. <laughs> I think it would attest that he's actually worked on that. So I'm really proud of him that uh, both of him grown into such incredible young men. But when we had these two children, and again, I wanted so much to be able to 
feel like I was validated, right? That that I was more comfortable though in the boardroom than the nursery room. I didn't understand the nurturing part as much. And many times I looked back now and I wish I would have done things differently. Thankfully, uh, because of my high stress job, I worked in a very toxic work environment. I left my career in the banking industry for tw- after 20 years so that I could figure out what was my next career. And this was right during the recession, the Great Recession in t- 2009 with the financial collapse. The working in the banking industry was not an ideal time. I thought I would make a transition easily into another arena. And that was not the case because a lot of people were out of work. And a lot of the people that I was looking to go into a nonprofit organization as an executive director and a lot of executive directors were also out of a position. So if it came down to me and, and someone who had held a an executive director role for nonprofit, they were going to get the job. And I can understand how that goes. It's like if somebody's already got this experience. I feel like that was necessary so that it actually changed the trajectory of what my life would look like after that. In January of 2011, I went to Sedona to have a personal retreat so that I could really continue with the healing that I had left a a career with a total identity crisis. I didn't know who I was any longer after being in a position of, you know, professional and then an executive where now it didn't feel like being a mom was enough. I had to do something else. So what was that next career going to be? Again, it was never enough. The worthiness was never complete unless there was something else that I could accomplish. So 2011 rolls around and I am uh, January, I decide I'm doing this retreat so that I can get some clarity on where my path is going forward. And I had this amazing experience of going to different practitioners in Sedona, Arizona, where it's a spiritual Mecca, right? Because it is just an amazing area for all the vortexes. For me, it was the chapter one of my new life because it was going to give me answers or at least open the door to what the possibilities would be next. So then after that retreat, that personal retreat in Sedona, I said, I knew that I wanted to be able to help others in the same way that I did this personal retreat because I wanted to have that inner journey of understanding who am I now? Because I am no longer that professional that went to a nine-to-five job. And I don't know that that's what I want to do going forward. So how can I help others? I thought of like this great TV show idea because I'd gone to Sedona and because it's venerated, right, with the vortexes, I thought I will find all the venerated places in, in the world and go there 
as a TV show idea. Now, I'm probably giving up an idea, <laughs> but at the time I had no credentials whatsoever to go into the television industry. I had my executive uh, corporate videos that I did <laughs> that I would manage with a production company. So I thought I'll just transfer all those skills and I'll make a documentary. And I just needed to find the right subject. And so went through, this is January of 2011. I was called in October of 2011 by someone who had helped me actually through my three miscarriages. Uh, right before I left the corporate career, I had three miscarriages, which was really the reason where it came down to if I am suffering on a physical level, my health is impacted, my mental health is impacted, my psyche is impacted, I need to leave and take a break. I had someone who came in as a, a life coach of sorts, a spiritual coach, and said, I'm going to invite, I really want you to come to India for the spiritual conference. And I thought, well, I don't want it to be about a conference. I want it to be about understanding the venerated places. And he said, well, we're taking a tour throughout India after the conference. So you'd have access to the speakers and you'd also be, to be able to see all these wonderful places in India, like the Taj Mahal. So I thought, that's amazing. I'm going to do this. And within six weeks, I put a projection calendar together. I put everything on my credit card. There was no time to raise money for this. It was, I just know I need to go. I'm, I've got to go and I'm going to be there. And miraculously, everything came together for me to get on the plane and actually arrive in, in India with this tour group of speakers. Now, when we get to India, it's a totally different story. And mind you, this is not something that my husband was on board with. He was actually against it and opposed it because he's like, you don't know how to make a movie. <laughs> I didn't. And, you know, how are you spending our money on a project that you don't even know really if it's going to go anywhere? You know, you have no plan. It was just pick up and go. And there was a lot of preparation in those six weeks. And thankfully, I had a lot of the executive um, or the, uh, the career, corporate career experiences and skills to transfer into it because if I had gone believing that this was, uh, I, I basically had left because I thought I wanted to be able to get the background story on these speakers and what it meant to start a spiritual journey. So I get to India and it is absolutely the conference is not what I expected it to be. The quality of the, the interviews that I was doing just wasn't there. Uh, I'd asked for a green room to be able to have interviews uh, with the speakers because I wanted everything to be perfect. That is my nature and why I was so successful for many years was because I was a control freak perfectionist because it was the, the front that I would use or the armor that I would wear to hide all those deep insecurities of not feeling good enough. And I was absolutely certain that when I got to India, I didn't want anyone to think or even <laughs> believe that this would be my first project, my first film project. So getting through to India, it's not what it's ex I'm expecting. 
and I'm internally having a, a breakdown. The day that we're going to the Taj Mahal, uh, we have a pit stop. We're in a van with all the speakers and we have a pit stop and we actually, um, we're just grabbing lunch and I see all these little dancing monkeys and then I also see a python and I'm thinking, if I see a cobra, I am going to flip out because I am deathly afraid of cobras and my mother always instilled this fear because when she grew up in, in Vietnam, apparently they're very common. She had this death, deathly was afraid of snakes. And, and so I thought, if I'm going to see a cobra, I will probably just lose it. Sure enough, there was a snake charmer with the cobra. And the cobra is at a good distance, but I'm thinking that cobra's after me. So I've got my camera crew with me, and I thought, if anything, I can at least come home with some B-roll. So I had my cameraman go and shoot footage of this cobra, the dancing monkeys, and the python. I see from a distance that the cobra is starting to attack the camera that my cameraman is placing in front of it. And I'm like, oh, great. Now he's going to probably end up getting bitten and die. And I'm just going to have all these other issues. This project is going to hell. So I'm surrounded by all these spiritual teachers, right? So they're like, let's just go and, and see what this is about. <laughs> so we walk over to where the snake charmer is. and. Jennifer Huff is one of the spiritual teachers who's taking an interest in my response, which is probably not really pretty, but she's asking me like, what's really going on? And so a series of questions start and my cameraman is capturing all this because I'm having a meltdown on camera. And the poignant question was, well, what are you afraid of? are you afraid of the snake or what? And I said, you know, it's not so much about the cobra. I'm afraid of dying before I've actually ever lived. I was more afraid of dying before I actually fully lived. And how many of you can relate that we put our lives on pause And that moment that I refer to now as the Cobra moment, and it gets me every time, was the game changer for the production because we no longer were just going to follow the speakers. My co-producer said, this has to be a story that you tell to help others. And I didn't think I was enough to be the story. It was supposed to be about the speakers. I was so afraid of that cobra and thinking that it'd come after me that when we went back to where we were staying, I was in my hotel room looking at the footage that we'd captured that day, and that cobra was not attacking. That cobra was trying to get away. That cobra was not its magnificent self. It was locked in a basket, tapped on the head when it was time to come out. 
And I found so much compassion for that cobra because I felt that that was me. I wasn't my true, authentic self. I definitely didn't feel powerful. I didn't feel potent. So through the miracle of having an incredible family, or just the my family at the time during the tour through India and the incredible cameraman, energy, who gave us access to the most incredible places because he happened to work for <clears throat> Discovery India. So he had had a letter that gave him access to places where no one can shoot without a permit. And I didn't have time for a permit. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> we we shot on the back of the Taj Mahal. Everybody shoots in front of the Taj Mahal. We were on the back on the Yamuna River at sunset. We were able to go um, to some incredible places. And I'll, I'll attach a link to the movie, which is Bernie's Journey. And coming home from that experience, was I, I can't even put words into it because I was such a different person. I had gone through a transformation in 20 days and it was over Christmas. So I left on December. I left on December 12th, came home on New Year's Eve. I've been gone all that time. My boys were all of, you know, they were in fifth grade and fourth grade. And I don't think they understood entirely what happened. I know my husband didn't understand what was happening. None of my friends understood what was happening. So that when I came home and explained that I had just done this incredible production, I was a changed person. And when my husband said, you've just changed so much in a short amount of time. And I can confidently say that I had not just changed, I had grown into my true self. In a short time frame, I was gifted the ability to see my life incredibly differently <laughs> and so grateful for the opportunity and grateful for everyone on that trip and really having this newfound gratitude for my family. Who I was before that trip, I was a different mother, I was a different wife, a different friend, a different person. After that trip, that transformation of growing into my truer self, I could see the beauty in others so much more clearly. I had so much more love for others. I had so much more compassion, less judgment. I felt like I just had a knowingness and a better appreciation for everything that had already happened to me. And it wasn't that it was happening to me. It would actually was everything. The trials that from that time in, in, in Saigon where that little girl went missing to the person that had arrived back in India was like all the dots had connected for me. I was able to be home for the boys as I was also finishing the documentary, starting businesses on the side so that I could always have the flexibility and the time for my children because we were able to learn about their learning differences and give them the support they needed. And to understand their learning differences gave me such 
awareness for probably my own learning differences that I had in school and learning about uh, ADHD. And it's not a learning disability. I will tell you right now, it is a gift. And that is what uh, they are identified as, is that you are gifted with the learning difference. So if you have children that if they were labeled that way, it's not a label. It is a gift to be able to see that your child just learns differently, thinks differently, is not part of the masses. They're out of the bell curve. That is a gift. And we were able to support them accordingly so that they didn't feel as though some of those learning challenges that they grew up stupid. I felt that I was stupid growing up because I didn't understand the English language and I just wanted to learn English perfectly. You know, so in school, I had, I had to work harder. And thankfully, we were armed to be able to support them so that they could thrive. And I was so worried about whether or not they were going to have challenges of bigotry and prejudice. And they didn't. We, we grew up in a neighborhood, or they grew up in a neighborhood where that was not the issue. There were all other issues. <laughs> That's another episode. <laughs> but they were able to grow up in the learning environments that were going to support them because we were knowledgeable about what resources we could provide additionally um, so that, you know, the dyslexia, learning how to read and process with the ADHD. Okay, so then this is where, um, you know, give them something to be able to have a passion about so that when it comes to school subjects they're not interested in, they know then how best to, okay, how do I refocus? Regardless of that, the experience for those years that I really wanted to be a part of my kid's life because the childhood that I had, I wanted to do it better. And that's why being a mom to me was so important to be the best mom that I could be. And many times I probably inserted myself where I shouldn't have. I was a helicopter mom that I really learned that trying to protect them so that they wouldn't have the hurt feelings that I did isn't necessarily a good thing. Um, I would say that it's all in good intentions. However, is it really the best for our children when it's their own journey that they are also supposed to have these lessons in order to grow into their truest selves? So then when I had all these different businesses that it was kind of fun, actually, to be able to continually grow and learn from different perspectives and being challenged. And even now with a podcast, like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm smart enough to know who knows, and I'll go to the experts. You know, I'm 52, and I'm, I feel like I'm school again. And that's, I think, comes to the point. And the lesson for me is that it's constant growth, constant ascension of our, our soul that really wants to thrive in emerging as our truest self, our authentic self, to be able to live out our life purpose 
that is really, I believe, the purpose of life. If we want to know what the meaning is, that's it. Know that you are living your life purpose. And that means that if you were a mom that your children have grown and flown, it is really time more than ever. Most importantly, now is the time to be living that fully. Share your gifts. So fast forward to 2019. I'm with a girlfriend and we're on a girl's trip weekend up in the cabin of a a dear friend who in, in, in the mountains of Colorado and a cousin had received an email from a woman after taking a DNA test and said, I know the family folklore of a little girl that went missing. And I feel that something incredible could be happening here because the woman emailed saying that she was a two-year-old little girl lost on the streets of Saigon. And she was looking for her family and wondered if we had family members that had served in Vietnam. As soon as I heard that, I just knew this little girl was more than just a cousin. So when we ultimately, this woman and I emailed, and of course, I I wanted to be able to call her right away and find out about her. But let me step back a second, because all those years that we'd learned that this little girl was a cousin, in 1995, my mother and I went back to Vietnam after 20 years of evacuating. And we're sitting around talking with her family. And my aunt, who was watching us, was there. And I'd asked my mother if that was the mother of the little girl that went lost because everyone's crying over this picture again. And that's when she revealed to me that that little girl was not my cousin. That little girl was my sister. My mother had to decide whether or not to leave Vietnam without her daughter that went missing or to start a new life in the United States with the daughter that she did have. So my cousin reaching out to me to tell me that a woman had reached out to him through email saying, I'm looking for my family. It was surreal. My mother had died in 2012, so she isn't, wasn't here to be part of that reunion. After I connected with my sister over a two-hour conversation, within 12 hours in the span of learning about this email to the time that I actually spoke with her and had a two-hour conversation with my sister that went missing that we never would speak about. And then to finally understand that she found us (laughs) after my mother had passed away with a broken heart. I truly believe she died of a broken heart because she never could find my sister, Rose. We had a beautiful reunion at the airport. It was captured. It was documented. And to this day, I feel like the miracle of her coming back into our lives to be able to establish a relationship 
It's like my mother said, if I'm not here, at least I could bring her back into the family. The amazing miracles and all these crazy twists and turns of my life. And today, as the oldest of a family of five, with three younger sisters and a brother, and all of us have children, that I'm in a space of just really celebrating that life can give us some really difficult challenges, but what it has taught me, all these things, is to really appreciate the hardships because it was what has made me grow faster, stronger, appreciating more of who I am as a woman, who I am as a person, a mother, wife, friend, sister. So when it comes to the emptiness syndrome, think of it as an opportunity to really know yourself. Take the time to know who you are. It is a a long journey of self-discovery probably a lot of self-invention or reinvention, which I've done many times in the last (laughs) 12 years, particularly. But wherever your path takes you to embrace not only the journey of where you are today, but embrace that inward journey. There is magic there. You are magnificent. You are incredible. You are worthy. You are enough. So if you don't hear that from anybody else, you are the person responsible for your happiness. You're the person that is responsible for your actions and what steps you take to live authentically, to live with your life purpose and to live fully because that is going to be the best role model. You will be the best role model for your children. That is love. Be the best role model you can be because this time when you're letting them fly, show them that you love them, of course, but that you love yourself to embrace this wonderful next chapter of your life. So cheers to you as you explore, discover, invent, create, take whatever action And being your truest, authentic, magnificent, sparkling self. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode of In a Prosecco, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the show, and please do comment and share ideas for topics that are important to you. A friend who cares is a friend who shares. Here's a toast to you on your re-inspirement journey. Cheers.